chapter twenty nine of campaigning with grant by horace porter this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty nine grant enters petersburg lincoln at petersburg in hot pursuit of lee grant makes a night ride to reach sheridan grant hurries on to farmville grant at farmville grant opens a correspondence with lee the ride to curdsville grant suffers an attack of illness more correspondence with lee the general was up at daylight the next morning and the first report brought in was that park had gone through the lines at four a m capturing a few skirmishers and that the city had surrendered at four twenty eight to colonel ralph ely a second communication surrendering the place was sent in to write general grant's prediction had been fully verified the evacuation had begun about ten the night before and was completed on the morning of the third between five and six a m the general had a conference with meade and orders were given to push westward with all haste about nine a m the general rode into petersburg many of the citizens panic-stricken had escaped with the army most of the whites who remained stayed indoors a few groups of negroes gave cheers but the scene generally was one of complete desertion grant rode along quietly until he came to a comfortable-looking brick house with a yard in front number twenty one market street the residence of mr thomas wallace and here he and the staff dismounted and took seats on the piazza a number of the citizens now gathered on the sidewalk and stood gazing with eager curiosity upon the features of the commander of the yankee armies soon an officer came with a dispatch from sheridan who had been reinforced and ordered to strike out along the danville railroad saying he was already nine miles beyond namazine creek and pressing the enemy's trains the general was anxious to move westward at once with the leading infantry columns but he prolonged his stay until the president came up mr lincoln soon after arrived accompanied by robert who had ridden back to the railroad station to meet him and by his little son tad and admiral porter he dismounted in the street and came in through the front gate with long and rapid strides his face beaming with delight he seized general grant's hand as the general stepped forward to greet him and stood shaking it for some time and poured out his thanks and congratulations with all the fervor of a heart which seemed overflowing with its fullness of joy i doubt whether mr lincoln ever experienced a happier moment in his life the scene was singularly affecting and one never to be forgotten he said do you know general i had a sort of sneaking idea all along that you intended to do something like this but i thought some time ago that you would so manoeuvre as to have sherman come up and be near enough to cooperate with you yes replied the general i thought at one time that sherman's army might advance far enough to be in supporting distance of the eastern armies when the spring campaign against lee opened but i had a feeling that it would be better to let lee's old antagonists give his army the final blow and finish up the job if the western troops were even to put in an appearance against lee's army it might give some of our politicians a chance to stir up sectional feeling in claiming everything for the troops from their section of country the western armies have been very successful in their campaigns and it is due to the eastern armies to let them vanquish their old enemy single-handed i see i see said mr lincoln but i never thought of it in that light in fact my anxiety has been so great that i didn't care where the help came from so that the work was perfectly done 
oh general grant continued i do not suppose it would have given rise to much of the bickering i mentioned and perhaps the idea would not have occurred to any one else i feel sure there would have been no such feeling among the soldiers of course i would not have risked the result of the campaign on account of any mere sentiment of this kind i have always felt confident that our troops here were amply able to handle lee mr lincoln then began to talk about the civil complications that would follow the destruction of the confederate armies in the field and showed plainly the anxiety he felt regarding the great problems in statecraft which would soon be thrust upon him he intimated very plainly in a conversation that lasted nearly half an hour that thoughts of leniency to the conquered were uppermost in his heart meanwhile his son tad for whom he always showed a deep affection was becoming a little uneasy and gave certain appealing looks to which general sharp who seemed to understand the mute expressions of small boys responded by producing some sandwiches which he offered to him saying here young man i guess you must be hungry tad seized them as a drowning man would seize a life-preserver and cried out yes i am that's what's the matter with me this greatly amused the president and the general-in-chief who had a hearty laugh at tad's expense a gentleman whom we supposed was the proprietor of the house asked the general to go into the parlor but he declined politely saying thank you but i am smoking the general hoped that before he parted with mr lincoln he would hear that richmond was in our possession but after waiting about an hour and a half he said he must ride on to the front and join ord's column and took leave of the president who shook his hand cordially and with great warmth of feeling wished him godspeed and every success the general and staff had ridden as far as sutherland station about nine miles when a dispatch from weitzel overtook them which had come by a roundabout way it read we took richmond at eight fifteen this morning i captured many guns the enemy left in great haste the city is on fire in two places i am making every effort to put it out the people received us with enthusiastic expressions of joy although the news was expected there were loud shouts of rejoicing from the group who heard it read the general as usual did not manifest the slightest sign of emotion and merely remarked i am sorry i did not get this information before we left the president however i suppose he has heard it by this time and then added let the news be circulated among the troops as rapidly as possible grant and meade both went into camp at sutherland station that evening april three the army of the potomac caught but a few hours sleep and at three the next morning was again on the march the pursuit had now become swift unflagging relentless sheridan the inevitable as the enemy had learned to call him was in advance thundering on with his cavalry followed by griffin and the rest of the army of the potomac while ord was swinging along toward burkeville to head off lee from danville to which point it was naturally supposed he was pushing in order to unite with joe johnston's army april four was another active day the troops were made to realize that this campaign was to be won by legs that the great walking match had begun and success depended upon which army could make the best distance record grant rode this day with ord's troops meade was quite sick and had to take at times to an ambulance but his loyal spirit never flagged and all his orders breathed the true spirit of a soldier that night general grant camped at wilson's station on the south side railroad twenty-seven miles west of petersburg 
a railroad engineer who had been brought in as a prisoner reported that davis and his cabinet had passed through burkeville on their way south early on the morning of the day before the next morning the general sent a dispatch to sherman in north carolina giving him an account of the situation containing instructions as to his future movements and winding up with the famous words rebel armies are now the only strategic points to strike at on the fifth he marched again with ord's column and at noon reached nottoway courthouse about ten miles east of burkeville where he halted with ord for a couple of hours a young staff officer here rode up to ord in a state of considerable excitement and said is this a way station the grim old soldier who was always fond of a quiet joke replied with great deliberation this is not a way station the staff collected around general grant on the front porch of the old town tavern and while examining maps and discussing the movements a ringing dispatch came in from sheridan saying he had captured six guns and some wagons and had intercepted lee's advance toward burkeville that lee was in person at amelia courthouse etc this news was given to the passing troops and lusty cheers went up from every throat they had marched about fifteen miles already that day and now struck out as if they were good for fifteen more and vowed that they were going to beat the record of the cavalry we continued to move along the wagon road which runs parallel to the south side railroad till nearly dark and had by that time reached a point about halfway between nottoway and burkeville the road was skirted by a dense woods on the north side the side toward the enemy a commotion suddenly arose among the headquarters escort and on looking around i saw some of our men dashing up to a horseman in full confederate uniform who had emerged like an apparition from the woods and in the act of seizing him as a prisoner i recognized him at once as the scout who had brought the important dispatch sent by sheridan from columbia to city point i said to him how do you do campbell and told our men he was all right and was one of our people he said he had had a hard ride from sheridan's camp and had brought a dispatch for general grant by this time the general had also recognized him and had ridden up to him and halted in the road to see what he had brought campbell took from his mouth a small pellet of tinfoil opened it and pulled out a sheet of tissue paper on which was written the famous dispatch so widely published at the time in which sheridan described the situation at jetersville and added i wish you were here yourself the general said he would go at once to sheridan and dismounted from his black pony jeff davis which he had been riding and called for his horse cincinnati he stood in the road for a few minutes and wrote a dispatch to ord using the pony's back for a desk and then mounting the fresh horse told campbell to lead the way it was found that he would have to skirt pretty closely to the enemy's lines and it was thought that it would be prudent to take some cavalry with us but there was none near at hand and the general said he would risk it with our mounted escort of fourteen men calling upon me and three other officers to accompany him he started off i had in the meanwhile questioned the scout about the trip and found that we would have to follow some cross-roads through a wooded country and travel nearly twenty miles it was now dark but there was enough moonlight to enable us to see the way without difficulty after riding for nearly two hours the enemy's campfires were seen in the distance and it was noticed that the fence rails were thrown down in a number of places indicating that cavalry had been moving across this part of the country though we were certain our cavalry had not been there 
knowing that scouts are seldom trustworthy and are often in the employ of both sides and feeling that the general safety was now entirely in the power of a comparatively unknown man i for one began to grow suspicious just then campbell fell back several paces and suddenly turned his horse into a piece of woods which we were skirting and seemed to be acting in a manner that indicated either confusion or treachery i cocked my pistol and rode close behind him thinking his feelings would stand that much in the way of precaution anyhow and determined that if he was caught giving any suspicious signals i would at once arrest him the scout however was thoroughly loyal and one of sheridan's most trusted men no thought of treachery had crossed his mind he was only looking for a short cut through the woods about half past ten o'clock we struck sheridan's pickets they could hardly be made to understand that the general-in-chief was wandering about at that hour with so small an escort and so near to the enemy's lines the cavalry were sleeping on their arms and as our little party picked its way through their ranks and the troopers woke up and recognized the general in the moonlight their remarks were highly characteristic of the men one said why there's the old man boys this means business and another great scott the old chief's out here himself the rebs are going to get busted to-morrow certain and a third uncle sam's joined the cavalry sure enough you can bet there'll be lively times here in the morning sheridan was awaiting us feeling sure that the general would come after getting his dispatch a good supper of beef cold chicken and coffee was soon prepared and it was quickly demonstrated that the night ride had not impaired any one's appetite when the general-in-chief had learned fully the situation in sheridan's front he first sent a message to ord to watch the roads running south from burkeville and farmville and then went over to meade's camp near by meade was lying down and still suffering from illness his views differed somewhat from general grant's regarding the movements of the army of the potomac for the next day and the latter changed the dispositions that were being made so as to have the army unite with sheridan's troops in swinging round more toward the south and heading off lee in that direction the next day april sixth proved a decided field day in the pursuit it was found in the morning that lee had retreated during the night from amelia courthouse and from the direction he had taken and information received that he had ordered rations to meet him at farmville it was seen that he had abandoned all hope of reaching burkeville and was probably heading for lynchburg ord was to try to burn the high bridge over the appomattox and pushed on to farmville sheridan's cavalry was to work round lee's left flank and the army of the potomac was to make another forced march and strike the enemy wherever it could reach him i spent a portion of the day with humphrey's corps which attacked the enemy near deatonsville and gave his rear-guard no rest i joined general grant later and rode with him to burkeville getting there some time after dark ord had pushed out to rice's station and sheridan and wright had gone in against the enemy and fought the battle of sailor's creek capturing six general officers and about seven thousand men and smashing things generally general grant broke camp and started from burkeville early the next morning the seventh and moved rapidly in the direction of farmville the columns were crowding the roads and the men aroused to still greater efforts by the inspiriting news of the day before were sweeping steadily along despite the rain that fell like trained pedestrians on a walking track 
as the general rode among them he was greeted with shouts and hurrahs on all sides and a string of sly remarks which showed how familiar swords and bayonets become when victory furnishes the topic of their talk such as cavalry's gone out general infantry's going to crush the rest of the mud and we've marched nigh twenty miles on this stretch and we're good for twenty more if the general says so and we're not straddling any hosses but we'll get there all the same the general raised his hat in acknowledgment of the cheers and gave a pleasant nod to each of the men who addressed him a little before noon on april seventh eighteen sixty five general grant with his staff rode into the little village of farmville on the south side of the appomattox river a town that will be memorable in history as the place where he opened the correspondence with lee which two days later led to the surrender of the army of northern virginia he drew up in front of the village hotel a comfortable brick building dismounted and established headquarters on its broad piazza news came in that crook was fighting large odds with his cavalry on the north side of the river and i was directed to go to his front and see what was necessary to be done to assist him i found that he was being driven back the enemy mumford's and rosser's cavalry divisions under fitzhugh lee having made a bold stand north of the river Humphreys was also on the north side, isolated from the rest of our infantry, confronted by a large portion of Lee's army, and having some heavy fighting. On my return to general headquarters that evening, Wright's corps was ordered to cross the river and move rapidly to the support of our troops there. Notwithstanding their long march that day, the men sprang to their feet with a spirit that made everyone marvel at their pluck and came swinging through the main street of the village with a step that seemed as elastic as on the first day of their toilsome tramp it was now dark but they spied the general-in-chief watching them with evident pride from the piazza of the hotel as they marched past then was witnessed one of the most inspiring scenes of the campaign bonfires were lighted on the sides of the streets the men seized straw and pine knots and improvised torches cheers arose from their throats already hoarse with shouts of victory bands played banners waved and muskets were swung in the air a regiment now broke forth with the song of john brown's body and soon a whole division was shouting the swelling chorus of that popular air which had risen to the dignity of a national anthem the night march had become a grand review with grant as the reviewing officer ord and gibbon had visited the general at the hotel and he had spoken with them as well as with wright about sending some communication to lee that might pave the way to the stopping of further bloodshed dr smith formerly of the regular army a native of virginia and a relative of general ewell now one of our prisoners had told general grant the night before that ewell had said in conversation that their cause was lost when they crossed the james river and he considered that it was the duty of the authorities to negotiate for peace then while they still had a right to claim concessions adding that now they were not in condition to claim anything he said that for every man killed after this somebody would be responsible and it would be little better than murder he could not tell what general lee would do but he hoped that he would at once surrender his army 
this statement together with the news that had been received from sheridan saying that he had heard that general lee's trains of provisions which had come by rail were at appomattox and that he expected to capture them before lee could reach them induced the general to write the following communication headquarters armies of the u s five p m april seventh eighteen sixty five general r e lee commanding c s a the results of the last week must convince you of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the army of northern virginia in this struggle i feel that it is so and regard it as my duty to shift from myself the responsibility of any further effusions of blood by asking of you the surrender of that portion of the confederate states army known as the army of northern virginia u s grant lieutenant-general this he entrusted to general seth williams adjutant-general with directions to take it to humphrey's front as his corps was close up to the enemy's rearguard and see that it reached lee williams's orderly was shot and he himself came near losing his life in getting this communication through the lines general grant decided to remain all night at farmville and await the reply from lee and he was shown to a room in the hotel in which he was told that lee had slept the night before although this statement could not be verified lee wrote the following reply within an hour after he received general grant's letter but it was brought in by a rather circuitous route and did not reach its destination till after midnight april seventh eighteen sixty five general i have received your note of this date though not entertaining the opinion you express of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the army of northern virginia i reciprocate your desire to avoid useless effusion of blood and therefore before considering your proposition ask the terms you will offer on condition of its surrender r e lee general lieutenant-general u s grant commanding armies of the u s the next morning before leaving farmville the following reply was given to general seth williams who again went to humphrey's front to have it transmitted to lee april eighth eighteen sixty five general r e lee commanding c s a your note of last evening in reply to mine of the same date asking the conditions on which i will accept the surrender of the army of northern virginia is just received in reply would say that peace being my great desire there is but one condition i would insist upon namely that the men and officers surrendered shall be disqualified for taking up arms against the government of the united states until properly exchanged i will meet you or will designate officers to meet any officers you may name for the same purpose at any point agreeable to you for the purpose of arranging definitely the terms upon which the surrender of the army of northern virginia will be received u s grant lieutenant-general the last sentence shows great delicacy of feeling on the part of general grant who wished to spare general lee the mortification of personally conducting the surrender the consideration displayed has a parallel in the terms accorded by washington to cornwallis at yorktown cornwallis took advantage of the privilege and sent o'hara to represent him but lee rose superior to the british general and in a manly way came and conducted the surrender in person there turned up at this time a rather hungry-looking gentleman in gray wearing the uniform of a colonel who proclaimed himself the proprietor of the hotel 
he gave us to understand that his regiment had crumbled to pieces that he was about the only portion of it that had succeeded in holding together and he thought he might as well stop off at home and look after his property it is safe to say that his hotel had never before had so many guests in it nor at such reduced rates his story was significant as indicating the disintegrating process which was going on in the ranks of the enemy general grant had been marching most of the way with the columns which were pushing along south of lee's line of retreat but expecting that a reply to his last letter would soon be received and wanting to keep within easy communication with lee he decided to march that day with the portion of the army of the potomac that was pressing lee's rearguard after issuing some further instructions to ord and sheridan he started from farmville crossed to the north side of the appomattox conferred in person with meade and rode with his columns encouraging reports came in all day and that night headquarters were established at curdsville in a large white farmhouse a few hundred yards from meade's camp the general and several of the staff had cut loose from the headquarters trains the night he started to meet sheridan at jetersville and had neither baggage nor camp equipage the general did not even have his sword with him this was the most advanced effort yet made in moving in light marching order and we billeted ourselves at night in farmhouses or bivouacked on porches and picked up meals at any camp that seemed to have something to spare in the way of rations that night we sampled the fare of meade's hospitable mess and once more lay down with full stomachs general grant had been suffering all the afternoon from a severe headache the result of fatigue anxiety scant fare and loss of sleep and by night he grew much worse he was induced to bathe his feet in hot water and mustard and apply mustard plasters to his wrists and the back of his neck but these remedies afforded little relief the dwelling we occupied was a double house the general threw himself upon a sofa in the sitting-room on the left side of the hall while the staff officers bunked on the floor of the room opposite to catch what sleep they could about midnight we were aroused by colonel charles a whittier of humphreys's staff who brought the expected letter from lee rawlins took it and stepped across the hall to the door of general grant's room he hesitated to knock not wishing to awake the commander if he were asleep and opened the door softly and listened a moment to ascertain whether he could judge by any sound how the chief was resting soon the general's voice was heard saying come in i am awake i am suffering too much to get any sleep i had in the meantime brought a lighted candle and now stepped into the room with it the general who had taken off only his coat and boots sat up on the sofa and read the communication the letter was as follows april eighth eighteen sixty five general i received at a late hour your note of to-day in mine of yesterday i did not intend to propose the surrender of the army of northern virginia but to ask the terms of your proposition to be frank i do not think the emergency has arisen to call for the surrender of this army but as the restoration of peace should be the sole object of all i desired to know whether your proposals would lead to that end i cannot therefore meet you with a view to surrender the army of northern virginia but as far as your proposal may affect the confederate states forces under my command and tend to the restoration of peace i shall be pleased to meet you at ten a m to-morrow on the old stage road to richmond between the picket lines of the two armies r e lee general 
to lieutenant general u s grant the general shook his head expressive of his disappointment and remarked it looks as if lee still means to fight i will reply in the morning and after making a few more comments lay down again upon the sofa rawlins and i expressed the hope that the general might still be able to get some sleep and then retired from the room about four o'clock in the morning of april nine i rose and crossed the hall to ascertain how the general was feeling i found his room empty and upon going out of the front door saw him pacing up and down in the yard holding both hands to his head upon inquiring how he felt he replied that he had had very little sleep and was still suffering the most excruciating pain i said well there is one consolation in all this general i never knew you to be ill that you did not receive some good news before the day passed i have become a little superstitious regarding these coincidences and i should not be surprised if some good fortune were to overtake you before night he smiled and replied the best thing that could happen to me to-day would be to get rid of the pain i am suffering we were soon joined by some others of the staff and the general was induced to walk over to meade's headquarters with us and get some coffee in the hope that it would do him good he seemed to feel a little better then and after writing the following letter to lee and dispatching it he prepared to move forward april nine eighteen sixty five general your note of yesterday is received as i have no authority to treat on the subject of peace the meeting proposed for ten a m to-day could lead to no good i will state however general that i am equally anxious for peace with yourself and the whole north entertains the same feeling the terms upon which peace can be had are well understood by the south laying down their arms they will hasten that most desirable event save thousands of human lives and hundreds of millions of property not yet destroyed sincerely hoping that all our difficulties may be settled without the loss of another life i subscribe myself and etc u s grant lieutenant-general to general r e lee general grant kept steadily in mind the fact that he was simply a soldier and could deal only with hostile armies he could not negotiate a treaty of peace without transcending his authority End of chapter twenty nine